Walk us through what this book does. What steps, what systems, what frameworks are we implementing that's taking the person from on the verge of a panic attack to being able to run a multiple seven-figure company with just a handful of meetings per week? The big thing is like, don't take two weeks off right away. Like You have to build up towards it because what we have to do is we have to retrain our mind. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. The man, the myth, the Netsley. What's up, buddy? How are you? What's up? What's up? Man, all my good friends call me Nets, and you put in the calendar invite for this, Brian and Nets, and I was like, dude, we are homies. Dude, are you serious? I have you on my phone yeah. as Nets. Dude, I didn't even very, know few, that. very few people in years have called me Nets. That's cool. That's how Let's it goes. Go. Move to Austin, Texas, baby. Friendship. Passing on. That's right. Love it, man. I'm excited to dive in today. People that are listening, me and Austin became buddies. We met at a couple of events over here in Austin, Texas, which we have frequently, which is amazing, and why we all move here. So Austin's multiple-time co-founder. Dude, you're kicking ass, taking names, and you're a multiple-time author. So we were just at your book launch party for your new book, The Two-Week Vacation Test. Man, that was awesome. Honored to get the invite and to hang out there and meet a bunch of cool people there as well. Dude, who is Austin Nestle? Introduce yourself to the people. Man, I am a, a complex but simple person. I started out as an engineer and I was like, I've got this very clear plan in my head. I'm going to become a CEO of a large company. And I started to work down that path because the corporate path was the only path that I knew and started to work down that. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm not really jealous of any of my managers. I don't want to be where they're at in 20 years. I'm not going to grind to get there and look like that and have that family life and everything. So I started to learn about this other path of entrepreneurship and controlling my own destiny. Started day trading and got turned that into a business. So I created my own algorithm and automated it and built that up. And that was my first taste of controlling my own destiny and making some money on the side. And I didn't have any employees, so it didn't really feel like a business, but that was my first business. And then from there, did a lot of bad things, burnt myself out traveled around the world and then wanted to come back and actually make an impact on the world. So I wanted to contribute. And my last three businesses have all done that where they're making a positive impact in people's lives. Sweet, man. You say these multiple businesses and these multiple failures, wins, losses. And I really like this quote from Hormozy where he talks about people aren't necessarily afraid of failure. They're afraid of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. It's just if you knew that you had 11 more failures to your home run, Right. Or if you knew you had 20 more dates until you found the love of your life or mm -hmm. 10 more reps until you got a new max on the bench press, then you would be fine with the nine failing and the 20 failing because you know what's coming. But it's just the uncertainty that kind of freaks us out. Mm -hmm. So I want to let you riff on both of those, man. What are your thoughts on those? My thoughts are at the beginning, a lot of people don't have that belief to just keep committing and going through the failures. I started my first business and I was making multiple six figures on the side through this algorithm that I created, day trading, which was more than I was making in my full-time job because I was still working full-time and I was making six figures there. So I was making a lot of money for a mid 20 something that didn't have barely any expenses, but I was still so afraid of leaving that corporate job, even though I was making more money on the side through an algorithm that 
it took me two years of once I started making money to actually quit because I didn't understand what you just said as far as keep going through the failures because success is on the other side. So I think so many of us have to build that confidence. You have to do the right things to accelerate your process because it took me years that I would have made many millions of dollars more had I left faster, but I didn't. And again, that fear held me back. Now I know over 10 years later, now I know that it's like failures is actually a major sign of the path to success. Yeah, it's every yes is justified by a hundred no's. And so mm. it's just like the no's get in business. So if you could go back and give yourself like a cheat code, if you're climbing up this mountain of this fear of failure with this fear of uncertainty that's keeping you in the analysis paralysis sustaining your corporate job, if you could give any advice or give one thing to that guy to convince yep. them to leave sooner, what would that be? The people around you mean everything. So what that means is, number one, is like you need a mentor. Like a mentor is somebody who's not necessarily hands-on, but they've already done what you're trying to do. You really look up to the life that they're living, both the success that they had and the success that they're having outside of business and and wealth, right? So a mentor is somebody that's a little bit more hands-off, but they've already been there. A coach is somebody that can guide you and support you and give you the X's and O's and the twists and turns throughout. And then a community is so important. So that was a huge shift for me. As soon as I joined a community, I saw that other people were going through the same problems that I was. I saw that people had my back. They were going to be able to give me solutions and things. So I actually had the confidence. So I was trying to do everything myself. That was the worst possible thing I could do. But if you surround yourself with the right people, and there's more that I could share about your friends and your peer group and a cheerleader and your lover and like those types of things. But a mentor, a coach in a community, you are golden from a mindset standpoint to at least have a lot more success and backing. That was the thing that did it for me was mm-hmm. I was just like, it wasn't like YouTube videos. It wasn't even the podcast, even though we appreciate all you guys listening. It was literally like the people, man. So walk us through when you open up your books, the two week vacation test, how to build a wildly successful business that can run and thrive without you capital W without you. So this is the problem that a lot of us run into. You may be making a bunch of money, a bunch of top line revenue, but can you go on vacation? Man, this is it becomes ironically more difficult when you start your own business. Austin, walk us through page one. You have this thing happen to you. You have this scenario that is not quite pleasant. What happens yeah. page one of the book? Yeah. So as I said, I was working full time. I was starting my first business and I, I just, I went all in. I was going above and beyond. So total, I was working 80 to a hundred hour work weeks. I was living a 20 something single lifestyle. So I was partying a decent amount. I was stressed out of my mind. I was overwhelmed, exhausted. My business owned me. I did not own the business. And frankly, I wasn't even making much money at the time, but I was so stressed out week after week that ultimately, even though I was healthy, I was an ex-college football player. I was running marathons and Spartan races at the time. So I was like as fit as can be. And internally, I was so stressed out that I started having anxiety attacks. I couldn't breathe or sleep. Every time uh, I would fall asleep, I would stop breathing. And I would gas up in, bread or in bed for breath. And it was just like the scariest feeling in the world. And finally, after doing this for, I was like delirious and I couldn't fall asleep. And I was doing this for 30, 40 minutes. Finally, I woke up a couple of my buddies and I said, Hey, I think I'm dying. You got to call 911. And this was like, as a dude, this is like the biggest admit of defeat ever. I'm like, I've been through a lot of pain and sports and different things. And like, you never ask for help. And here I am asking for help in the middle of the night, having to call 911 because I can't breathe or sleep. So my body was basically like, bro, you have to change something. So the paramedics came and checked me out. And they were basically like, hey, you have too much stress. You're not sleeping enough. 
stop what you're doing from the business standpoint. And I didn't. I went back to the grind. I went back to thinking I was invincible. I was like, no, I got this. I'm going to push through. I have to grind to be successful. And it happened again. Same exact thing. And started having anxiety attacks again. And finally, that was the wake up call. Like, All right, I have to do something different here. It's crazy that you say that because it was like I was <laughs> on my stat sheet, my entrepreneur store, scorecard. I was like, man, I was averaging a panic attack a week. <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, dude. Same as you. It was super, super rough. It was after I left the job. Mm-hmm. It was rough dude, because it's like not anything that you experienced before. And then it happens and you literally feel like you're having a heart attack. Yeah. And you're like, I'm like, this is it. And I remember I had, for me to get out of it, I had to call a mentor and he had to be like, yo, you're good. You're not Mm -hmm. dying. Walk outside and just listen. This is going to be okay. And that Mm -hmm. goes back to the power of community that you were talking about before, man. So it's just, I have been there. And that was after I left the job. Mm -hmm. Then you start having all these doubts and these fears and these concerns. So we have a younger Austin that's working 100 hour weeks, still in that job, working this day trading business on the side, 100 hours. And you're stressed out, you're burnt out, your body's failing on you. Where are we at today? <laughs> Where we're at today is the opposite of that. I travel a ton, got a much bigger business. I got a team and operations in place so that they're pretty much running the show. So I run a business coaching company, right? I do zero coaching myself. I've got a team of coaches. They follow our methodology and system. And again, I'm able to do that. Do I still work hard some weeks? Absolutely. I love to work hard. I love to be so passionate about what I'm doing, like writing the book and releasing the book. I'm down to push that, but it's all in control. My calendar does not own me at all. I'm not pulled in a hundred different directions. I have very little things that I have to do in the day to day. And I don't say that to brag. I say to share with everybody what's possible because I've been there with everybody else wearing the hundred hats, doing everything from sales to marketing, to finance, to the team, to the hiring, to the firing, to all the marketing. It can be overwhelming, but we've got to learn that there's a better, simpler way and implement that step-by-step. And that's what we're trying to share. Yeah. And that's really, it's really important that you say that because you hear over and over again about the grind. And then there's this guilt that you feel if you Mm -hmm. have free time and you aren't working. You're like, obviously, I'd hit my goals if I put 20 more hours in. Obviously, I'd hit my goals if I wasn't spending this time wake surfing. Instead, if I was working on my business. So what was the catalyst? It wasn't the panic attack or was it something else that was the, okay, there has to be a different way moment? It was definitely the the panic attacks. So by the time I had that, I was like, all right, there has to be a better, simpler way. I knew that people were being wildly successful around me in their own rights, whether that meant making a million dollars per year in profit or having a multi-seven-figure business or whatever that meant. But there was people that were way more successful than me, and they were not working 80 to 100-hour work weeks. They weren't, as I thought, as smart as I was. So I'm like, all right, There's something that I'm missing here because yes, you can grind for a little bit, but when you have to do it week after week, month after month, and then ultimately for year after year, then it's like, that doesn't have to be the case. Should you work hard? Yes. Again, I think absolutely. I tried to live the four hour work week and I actually didn't like it. I liked again, to have something that I was more passionate about that I wanted to work some, but again, be in control. But it was really the thing of there has to be a better, simpler way. So that led me to really learning and mastering systems. So I started to then take my day trading business 
and systemize everything from my decision-making to my prep, to my tracking, to again, creating my own algorithm and automating it. That's a different point former system so that it was easy, so that it was consistent, so that it was predictable, so that it didn't, I wasn't relying on me. And then I could spend literally minutes in a day that I used to spend many hours, way more stressed out doing. And that was a real, a big turning point for me. Yeah. What is it that they call like Parkinson's law where the work will grow to fill the time. So it's just like you give yourself 12 hours to do a task and two hours to do a task. You can still get the same task done if you just put a shorter time frame on it. Walk us through that process because I understand how dicey that is and how up and down it is. I don't know if there's a specific instance, but I was really passionate about being successful and having a great lifestyle. Like it was not mm. acceptable for me to just have one of those. And I wanted to be successful bad. Trust me, I was willing to do a lot of things. For a long time, I was working again, those 80 to 100 hour work weeks, but I was really passionate about having both. And I was like, who has both and how can I model what they're doing? And it came back to having a great strategy or business model or what wealth vehicle, if you will, with the proper team and operations in place so that you can do both. So if you have both of those, then you can spend your time in business how you want and out of business how you want, and you can be successful in both. But if you don't have those couple pieces, then it's just like tough sledding. And that's what I was doing for years is I was muscling things and making them way harder than they need to be, which is unfortunately what probably 90% at least of entrepreneurs are doing, even the successful ones. When you really get to know them, and like Brian, you've interviewed a lot of successful people. I bet when you really break it down or when they really start to share, they're like, hey, on the inside, it's actually way much more of a mess than you actually see on Instagram. And uh, and we see that all the time. So it's definitely over 90% that, that struggle with some of those things. Yeah. And what's funny with all of that is when you start interviewing these people and meeting these people in person, some of them, I'd say maybe five to 10% are like just certified geniuses. Where mm. you're like, oh my gosh, you are substantially smarter than we are. Like you mm. are not a normal mm. human being. But most of them, like 95%, I'd say, and you can validate this or challenge this however you want. But for me, it's 95%. I'm like, you aren't that much smarter. Like you aren't genius. You're just someone that just had a clear vision and just were come hell or high water, I'm making this happen. And you just yep. had that stick to to keep pushing yep. through like the bad times. Is that what yep. you've seen as you've gone through? I would even go further. If it's not five to 10% that are geniuses, I would say it's like less than 1% that are actually <laughs> getting their success through their brain. Like it, that's one of the biggest things that I learned. So when I was still working in the, my, my corporate job was in the oil industry. I was working with small businesses, so small independent distributors and there wasn't a lot of intelligence in that space. And I saw people crushing it. And that was mind blowing for me because I grew up trying to be the smartest, trying to get the best degree. I had a major and a minor and all these different accolades. And then I learned none of that matters. Like you need the proper strategy with some proper strategic moves. And a lot of people that were thriving were not, were frankly way less intelligent, but they didn't have the same limiting factors that smart people do. So a lot of times as an intelligent person, you actually overanalyze things too much and you actually are much more less likely for success. So I'd go even further to say that's true of you got to get the, the, the right things right, but it's not necessarily being the smartest in the room. Yes, yeah, your greatest weakness is your greatest strength overused. That's why people spend two years to get that first rental property and then two yeah. months to get the second, right? Yeah, that was the case for me. I was overanalyzing things for literally years and I was, the facts were there. I was making like more money on the side. So yeah, dude. So let's talk to the person right now that's listening to this. And they're like, Austin, dude, okay, two weeks, 
I can't fathom being away from my business for two weeks. Maybe I could take my laptop with me. Maybe I could take my phone with me. And even for me that travels full time, I don't think I could fully take two weeks off. I had some anxiety in this last Europe trip attempting this, and it was rough on me. Mm. So Mm. let's talk to that person. Walk us through what this book does. What steps, what systems, what frameworks are we implementing that's taking the person from on the verge of a panic attack to being able to run a multiple seven-figure company with just a handful of meetings per week? The big thing is like, don't take two weeks off right away. Like you have to build up towards it because what we have to do is we have to retrain our mind to let go of the attachment. Like we get consumed by our business. We get addicted to it. So we have to retrain our mind to separate ourselves from the business, to be able to stop work, to be able to turn it off. Because if you go and try to take a vacation without bu- rebuilding that muscle, then you're just going to be stressed out like you were. So we've got to build yep. up towards it. So what we've got are, in the book are seven steps. You're like, yep, been there, just there. So we got seven steps that start really small. It starts with taking a night 100% off. No work, no checking emails, no checking social media. Start to detach yourself from what is your typical day-to-day because most people, again, can't turn it off. But what you'll do by realizing or as you go through this process is you'll start to realize that you try to check your email five times or you try to check social media every 15 minutes. Or if you have a little distraction, even in the middle of a conversation with your spouse or whatever, like you're still trying to check things. So we have to have that awareness first and foremost, but then it works through small incremental steps so that we, again, build more and more confidence with our team and operations, build more of a muscle to be able to actually separate ourselves. And, and again, with each step, as it ramps up from a business standpoint, you're able to be more in control of your time as far as doing more deep deep work, which is like really what we're talking about as far as intelligence is can you work on the right things, right? It's not necessarily like hard to figure out any problem. Steve Jobs says everything in this room is created by people just like you and I. And as soon as you understand that, your whole world will change. And I'm like, that quote changed my life because I was then realizing that I didn't have to be so smart. I needed to break things down into a small individual problem. But again, through the book, we're working through seven steps to ultimately build the team in operations each step so that you don't take these huge risks. For instance, the, the fourth step is to take a mini vacation, which is four days or, or the fifth step is to take four days off. That's two weekend days and two business days. So if you can work through the steps in the book to get to that point, that's a huge milestone that most people really can't do. So again, it's all done through small steps. Let's sit on that. So let's not give the entire book away, but let's sit on that step four specifically. So I like that you start with the bite-sized pieces. I didn't do that because this book didn't exist before. So let's talk about that step four, about getting somebody the tools and the team and the systems to be able to do that for the four-day one, which I love. So it's two, yeah. so it's like the Friday and the Monday and then the weekend, correct? It could be whatever combination of two days from the weekend and two business days. So for a lot of businesses, that could be a Friday and a Monday, or it could be a Thursday through a Sunday, but taking that time off is amazing. So again, let's actually work through the steps to get there. So that's the fifth step. So the first one is taking a night, a hundred percent off a business, a a night, a hundred percent off. The second one is then taking a weekend, a hundred percent off. The third one is then doing what we call done by 1030, which is a morning routine where you're working on the most important activities in your business before you're checking anything else from your clients, from your, from your renters, from your email, anything. The fourth step then is taking one full day where you're working on the business, but not checking in with your team or clients at all. So this is where you're just really focused on your highest impact work. So if you can do those uh, four, 
then you're again, taking back control of your time. You're able to do deep work. And on that day off, that fourth step is your team is running without you. So you have at least one or two or three or however many people in place that they're still operating without you, or you have the systems in place that are still operating without you. So this way you're able to work on the highest impact things that will set you up for future success, but not having to do anything in the day-to-day yourself. So then now at this point in time, you've been able to take some time off so you can turn off work and you've got at least the basic systems and operations and team in place that things can still operate without you. Now it's for that four day weekend. So that's a huge huge milestone again, to be able to turn things off. And we have all of our clients do this at least on a quarterly basis, because then you always have something to look forward to. You always have a time to recharge. And if you can do this and then mix in the one or two week vacations every six months, then you're not only building a healthy business, you've got a great lifestyle and always something to look forward to. And the thing is that we realize is that a lot of times, once we set our team up for success, they don't need us as much as we think. Right. Like we think that we, everything has to be done by ourselves, but it doesn't have to be. If we can actually train our team and set them up for success, they actually prefer that we're not in their way most of the time. So again, taking two days off and extending that with the weekend is a really good mental and business test at the same time. So it's a huge milestone. So let's talk to the person right now. So they're listening to this and maybe they're materially successful. Like they've got like multiple six figures of revenue, maybe even the seven figures of annual revenue. And maybe they've been doing it all themselves. Or maybe they have a very small team. They have no systems. They have no team. This muscle isn't built yet. Can you walk us through what are the first key hires? What are the first key systems to build to allow for this? Yeah. The first key hire that we recommend, I recommend in my other book as well, is an assistant. If you don't have an assistant, as Cameron Harold says, you are you the assistant. Are one. <laughs> yeah. So this is such a high leverage thing. So one of the biggest things that I talk about from the book is basically reshifting your time from so much of the admin and the minutia and things that you don't want to do to the high impact things. This is, again, how you can produce a lot more while working way less is if you work on the right thing. So admin, get it off your plate. Every single business and wealth vehicle has a decent amount of admin that if we can get a proper assistant in in place, put in the proper system so that their life is easy and they can be set up for success, then that's going to take off a good weight right there. So that's a big one. Plus what the big thing that actually does is not only free up time, really what it frees up is the brain capacity because there's so many moving pieces in our lives, especially in our business, that we get uh, decision fatigue, right? So we need to reduce the number of decisions, the number of moving pieces, and an admin can take on so many of those small decisions that actually add up way bigger than we think. Then from there, you ideally have some type of operational role. So this could be an operations manager, or for us, it's like a head coach or coaches that are actually doing and delivering on the work. Some type of operational role that can keep you out of the day-to-day. Then from there, the third role is usually something related to revenue generation or income generation. So for a lot of companies that we work with, it's having a salesperson in place so that, again, their schedule is not reactive, but they could still be able to generate a, a revenue and profit. So if you have those three in place, an admin, an operational support, and somebody to assist you in, in generating revenue, you're in a really good spot to have the initial pieces of it. It's a great team. Do you recommend virtual, international, or do you recommend domestic and then Question number two on top of that is when is it time for a domestic assistant or is that necessarily even an upgrade? Yep, definitely. I recommend all of the above. So I recommend an in-person assistant, a more time time zone-based executive assistant, and a virtual assistant. The best one to start with is a virtual assistant. They can be overseas. You can hire somebody in the Philippines for 
anywhere between $350 and $1,500 per month, which is well under what you'd have to pay somebody in the US. And they can mm-hmm. do an amazing job. And they're absolutely amazing. My first hire was $300 per month. Her name is Sugar. She hired her nine years ago when I got started online. And she's still with me today. And she changed my life. I knew within two hours that she was going to change my life. And then since that time, again, we've done so many great things. But but since that time, I not only have a virtual assistant in the Philippines, and we have six on our team now. I also have an executive assistant, and I also have an in-person assistant that comes with some of the house things. So those three really create an amazing team that I have very little, if any, admin that I have to handle on a regular basis. Some advice that you can give on hiring your first EA, because I went through seven of them until I finally found one that worked. So I messed up every single way that you possibly could in hiring. Yeah. So what's your advice on hiring your first EA? Because this is going to be a skill and a muscle that will just make the assumption that somebody doesn't have yet. Yeah. With any hiring, what you want to do is test and test because people can fill in the answers on the right things. But what really shows up is when they're actually given tasks, when they're actually having to use things and give them a certain amount of time to do that. Because if you give somebody some basic research tasks and you give them a week to do it, like they can use chat GPT or they can learn how to Google stuff or whatever and give you some really good stuff. But you want to give them multiple tests that see how their mind works and how, what their skills are in different ways. For instance, we'll have one of them be a video that they have to send on a report of a system that they created in the past. Or we'll have one, them write two paragraphs on a particular thing so that we can see their writing style. And we'll have a third task to see how they work in a spreadsheet. So we'll give them multiple different things. And that just clears out about 80% of applicants in that step too. And then from there, we do a trial period. So we always do for those types of roles, at least a seven day, usually a 14 day trial period where we're paying them, but they're either part-time or full-time doesn't matter. depends on their capacity, but we're paying them, but they're not officially hired yet. So we have about 40% of people that we bring in that actually pass that trial period. So this is a great way to have a quick out. So there's a saying, hire slow, fire fast. This is what we're trying to do is we're having a systematic process that not only do we have a lot of interviews and tests that they work through, but even so, it really only matters how they perform and how they fit in with you and the team. So have that trial period, whether it's seven or 14 days where you're paying them and actually seeing how they show up. Do you run them through a disk profile? You can do multiple ones. It depends what you best understand and what the role is. But we do either Colby or DISC or even Enneagram or some of the different personality culture index. There's different ones. For sales, we'll use a different profile versus if it's an operational, we'll use Colby. So it really depends. But a lot of assistant type roles will use DISC. So it was really interesting to me that she said that you're starting with your EA, which, yeah, that's what I've heard too, because I'm buddies with Cameron now and he came on the podcast and Vivid Vision like completely changed my freaking life. And Mm. that's my entire personality now. I was curious because you said that you hired your operations. You basically hired like a back end, like client success manager, like a CSM in like my world before you hired the sales rep. So I'm curious about that. So why, what was the rationale behind that? Because your logic would make you think, okay, let me hire the revenue generation first. Yep. Yeah, great question. Either one could be first, but what we want to do is look at what's going to be the bottleneck. And for us, the hours spent and from a delivery standpoint was definitely more. So at the beginning, for instance, let's use 2X, my current company as an example. So when we started 2X, I was doing everything. I was doing the marketing 
the sales, the fulfillment. I was obviously managing the team. I was basically CEO and everything. Even though I had a small team of a couple people, probably like four people at the time, I knew what I was going to do, which was starting with everything. And again, by this point in time, I already knew where it was going to be in six months, which was me doing none of those things. But I started with it because I wanted to learn, get my hands on and create the systems that was going to then set them up for success. For instance, I took on the first however many, probably like 15 clients that we had. And as I was having those clients, I was creating our methodology, but we already had some clients there that that was a good amount of time, whereas sales was only a few hours per week right? Mm -hmm. That was going to be my biggest opportunity. And that's, again, what we work with mostly service-based businesses. That's a huge opportunity. And it's higher leverage as far as a dollar per hour to still be on sales at the beginning until you really get things clear with an irresistible offer. So that's basically what it breaks down to is it's usually less time and it's higher dollar per hour for the sales piece, which is why you give it up after a more operational or delivery type role. Do you think it also matters about what type of founder you are too, I would assume. Oh, you know, for if sure. Yeah, because like for us, it's like I'm more sales and marketing. I enjoy that. So that's going to be probably the last thing I take off of my plate. Whereas like a CSM operations, like the first thing I was like, ooh, this is not yeah. my zone of genius. I think Cameron has another quote where he goes, do what you do best, delegate the rest. Yeah, do you yeah. agree with that and add anything to that? I would. So I would definitely agree with it. And at the same time, I would say the main thing is to have awareness to it. So for instance, so many people, let's say that they're more comfortable with the operational side. If they don't have really good awareness to it, then their natural inclination will always be going towards making a better product or improving the operations and not necessarily focusing on driving the growth. But your number one job, no matter what your skill set is, to be driving growth as a company, at least if you have ambitious goals, right? And I see so many people, myself included, that get lost in other things that are not driving the growth. So as a CEO, you have to be responsible for overseeing and making sure that all of them are set up for success, right? But it's just really about having the awareness because we can often go uh, and focus on the wrong thing too much, whether it's just the sales and marketing and not have a good enough product or not have a good enough backend. So we can definitely go one way or another. And there's something else I was going to add, but I'll come back to it. There's a random question I want to throw in here that I've noodled around where it's just at what point do you go, like people say like CEO, throw CEO on LinkedIn or whatever. Like they throw, oh yeah, I'm the CEO of such. And I saw like a tweet one day where it was just like, you're not really a CEO until X. And I don't really remember what X was, but Mm. I was just like, I don't really feel like I'm truly a CEO until I've got like a team of 10 plus. I'm curious about your perspective on that. I think that regardless, you have to be thinking about yourself as a CEO right from the start because a CEO just thinks differently. We're thinking long-term, we're thinking about the cash flow, we're thinking about the team, we're thinking about culture. Some of those things that you know aren't necessarily as important when you're just starting out. When you're just starting out, you just got to be an entrepreneur and hustle and go and get sales. And you have to generate and, and, and bring some things in and you have to wear every hat. But definitely over time, there becomes a transition. So if we had to put numbers to it, I would say definitely as you transition close to seven figures and above, you got to be thinking like a CEO. But that's one of the biggest things is I have a book called From Six to Seven Figures. We help a lot of people go and scale to two, seven figures. And that's the first chapter is all about the mindset because you instantly got to switch of you're driving growth, you're being a CEO, you're building for the long term, you're building assets, not just hustling around trying to do all these different things because that's how you start in business. But as soon as you understand what the business is, then you got to be a CEO sooner rather than later. Can you talk about the concept of hourly rate and how this applies when implementing leverage and the stuff that you're talking about? 
Absolutely. So everybody needs to understand the value of their time. And your time is wildly disproportionate in how you spend it. For instance, every single business owner, not say every, most small business owners and entrepreneurs will have a decent number of things that they spend their time on in a day that are worth $10 an hour. Like they could outsource and delegate that for $10 an hour or less. We're talking about three or $5 an hour VAs. Like you can outsource some of that. There's other things that you do that are worth multiple thousands of dollars per hour. So we're talking about a huge factor, a huge multiple of the variance of your time. So the thing is to understand for your business, what are those things on both extremes? You want to do more of the higher end? Do you want to do way less of the bottom end? But what we're always trying to do, and I do this on a monthly basis, is detail every single task that I'm spending my time on. And then I'm starting to apply a basic kind of level and four tiers of uh, the level of impact that is. And I'm always trying to cut things out because the, all, anything related to time or productivity or cutting things out or even hiring is not a one-time thing. Like you always have to be constantly evaluating where your time and energy is going and always be up-leveling it. What we talk about in the book is that your bottom 40% of where you're spending your time on should change and be offloaded every six months. So if you constantly do that, you're constantly offloading things that are low value and constantly then replacing that with some personal time for your life outside of business, but also higher impact things. And that means in your time and how you spend your time is the number one leading indicator for your success. So that means you're constantly up-leveling your success and very likely making a lot more money along the way. I think that's really interesting that you say about the uh, every six months, because it, the metaphor that I think of in my mind is it's like cleaning out like your kitchen or cleaning out your bedroom, which is like really top of mind as opposed to cleaning out your garage, which is probably what most of us do. And I'm guilty of that too, where it's like, I have all those tasks put back in the garage and, and I'm not thinking about it. I'm just doing them just to feel busy and feel productive and say, oh, look at me, like I'm working hard. But then you're like, I really like that, that you said that about the every six month performing a self-induced audit on your own yeah. time and it, making yeah. that a revolving practice instead of just a one-off thing. Yeah, exactly. It makes it very tangible. And the more that you can actually write down those high value and low ta value tasks, the more that you can write down exactly where your time and energy is going, the easier it is to make it tangible. Now you can address it. But so oftentimes we just get lost in the hamster wheel. We know that our never ending to-do list is there. We just keep going. But if you can actually stop and reflect and make some of these shifts one by one, it's just like crazy, the exponential growth that you can have personally. And again, from a results standpoint, if you do it. Yeah, I got coaching on this one time that said, he called it light versus heavy. And that really stuck with me. I really like that. Where he mm. said it wasn't necessarily like hard versus easy or simple versus difficult. It was just like what feels very light to you and what feels yeah. like such a drag. Can you give yeah. any any advice to that entrepreneur that's building out these systems, that's making these key hires on identifying what is their zone of genius? What is light versus heavy to them? Yeah, actually, I would challenge you on that a little bit. It's like sometimes we got to address the thing that we don't want to address. Like, for instance, yeah. if I was your coach, I would say, dude, get the taxes done. 90 <laughs> minutes, put on a special playlist. I'll cheers with you after you get done or whatever we got to do. Go get it done. Like we got to, as Brian Tracy says, eat the frog, eat the frog, yeah, which is basically yeah, yeah. the thing that we don't want to do. Just get it done. So the big thing is, and for you, that's step three. Step three is what we call the done by 1030, which is working on the highest impact thing. And it's not necessarily going to be your taxes, but sometimes there's things that we just got to get done. So it's because if we just go to what we want to do, 
Like our lizard brain loves easy things and they love checking things off and it loved, loves hits of dopamine. So that's why so oftentimes we get lost in these 10 or 20 or $50 an hour tasks or in just one area that we like to work in. But it's like the business is a whole thing. It's this whole complex piece that we have to have awareness for the other things. So I would say from a light and heavy standpoint, definitely anything that you don't enjoy doing, see how you can offload and delegate that because like pretty much everything in your business can be done by somebody else. And that's really what the two-week vacation test is about is to have you at least temporarily have everything done by somebody else because that'll shift your perspective that, oh, wow, I, I don't actually have to do that. Do I want to do that? Sure. If you want to, then lean into it, do more of it. But if you don't uh, want to do it, then you can actually offload that with the proper person and system in place. Yeah. So my, my major takeaway from that is if you hate doing it, you can delegate it. Or if you can't delegate it, as in my taxes, do it before 1030. Correct. Yeah. Make yeah, it first yeah. thing, make it top of mind, make it priority. Like Brian Tracy says, eat the frog. Again, do it in a sprint, like just do it in a focused sprint. So I talk about in the book, Pomodoro Sprints, and you can set a particular time, but if you just get super focused, like it may take you 40 minutes to do, and you're putting this off and it's costing you an extra, however many thousands of dollars in late fees or whatever, like 40 minutes and you can get it done with the proper focus. Love it, man. So for your two week vacation test, where'd you go? I've gone on many, dude. I've gone on so many. What's the Um, first one? The first one, I traveled all summer for two and a half months. So we went mostly throughout the US and I was working just a tiny bit throughout that, but that was like the first major break. So that's actually how the two-week vacation test was started. I was, this was my third business and I was on path to burnout a third time. So after those first, those first two burnouts were the, from the first business. So I was on path to burnout the third time and I was like, I'm fed up on this. I'm not going to do it. I'm going and traveling all summer with my girlfriend. So we planned two and a half months of travel and I had five or six weeks to get the business ready before we left. So that's when I started improving the operations, simplifying things down, improving the team, getting them clear, offloading, delegating everything. And I was like, wait a minute, this is the best thing I've ever done. I'm finally having a push, like you said, with the Parkinson's law, like putting that restraint on myself to actually get the things done that I need to get done. And I had a much healthier business. I had way more time freedom and we went and traveled all over the US. But I got a fun one coming up here in just a few weeks where I'm going to Greece on a sailing trip where I'm going to be fully disconnected. And that's a bucket list one. So that's what I'm looking forward to here next. That's freaking sick. But dude, where can people find you? Where can people buy the book? Yeah. Check us out at 2x.co, 2x.co. We help business owners scale. We focus a lot on systems, operations, team, and time to ultimately create the business and life that you really want. So check it out. We've got a couple books. One's called From Six to Seven Figures. That's going well. And the two-week vacation test is on Amazon as well. And I'm really excited for it. So appreciate you sharing it. And if you're a little bit overwhelmed with your time, or if you want to improve your team and operations, you want to make things easier so that you can create the life and business that you know are possible. I hope the two-week vacation test will give you a simple and fun process to work through to make it happen. So I'm really excited for that. Guys, for people listening, I'm holding it right here in front of me. I've got it. Got it right in front of me. I read the book. You made a great one. So I appreciate that. Appreciate the friendship, man. I'm glad we linked up. Absolutely. Appreciate you, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Cool. Appreciate that, buddy. And that's been Austin and Brian with the Action Academy Podcast. Signing off by the book. Hey, real quick, if you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it, so I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want, and I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. 
One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.